is a, an element certainly of what I call the tyranny of the urgent. And it's simply just being bombarded every day with news of breaches, news of unpatched machines and the, you know new exploits out there. And I gotta admit, it is a little overwhelming at times. Welcome to the CMO Stories podcast, brought to you by Forkella. This podcast series features marketing executives explaining how they're upending the fundamental approach to marketing to get above leads and tactics and instead focus on revenue goals. And now, on with our show. With over 2,300 vendors and an overall market size of 160 billion, the cybersecurity industry is full of paradoxes. On one hand, cybersecurity is a critical board level issue for most companies. CEOs can get fired over major cybersecurity breaches. On the other hand, cybersecurity market is crowded and noisy. Security vendors find it difficult to differentiate their offerings when good enough competitors who are ready to peddle their products by throwing about buzzwords and FUD and offer deep discounts to win customers' business at any cost. But things are changing. The research firm Gartner found that boards and executive teams are now pushing back and asking for improved data and understanding of what they've achieved after years of such heavy investments in cybersecurity solutions. So how can cybersecurity CMOs and marketers succeed? in a crowded market with inherently complex products and services? What do their buyers expect from them? To answer these questions, I turn to three industry experts and industry veterans. Nate Burke, he's a CMO of Exonius, a cybersecurity asset management company based in New York and Israel. By its own admission, Exonius is solving the least sexy problem in cybersecurity. Nate is no ordinary CMO with over two decades of experience of running marketing teams and building cutting edge companies such as Hexadite, which was acquired by Microsoft for millions of dollars. Nate is your ultimate growth CMO. Rich Campania is a CMO of Balbix, a cybersecurity platform that uses AI to provide real-time visibility into an organization's breach risk and prescribes mitigating actions. Like Nate, Rich is an industry veteran with two decades of technology marketing and management experience. He's also a prolific writer, and you can find his articles published in Forbes and Silicon Valley Business Journal. And Naomi Buckwalter is the Director of Information Security and Privacy at Enagage. Enagage's mission is to make the world a better place to work together through its software platform. Naomi started her career in the US Army as a software engineer and has two decades of experience in security engineering, architecture and operations. I especially wanted to include Naomi in this conversation because ultimately, as marketers, we're all at the service of our customers. And I felt that including Naomi's voice and opinions and what she expects 
from cybersecurity vendors was essential to answering my question, how to market complex products in a crowded space. So Rich, let me start with you. You're a CMO at a high growth venture backed tech firm. From your perspective and outside of the cybersecurity space, what keeps you up at night? Uh, good question, Rahul. Um, and I guess there's a lot of things that keep me up at night, um, so to speak. Um, but I think one thing as, as a marketer that's, that's particularly challenging is that, I, and I think of this as, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that marketers need to do is they need to post their source code on the website, basically. Right? And by that, I mean, if you look at all the different functions in a company, you know, you have engineers and they're able to keep their secret sauce, right, source code, so to speak, uh, private. You know, the sales teams are able to, um, you know, keep contract negotiations and contract terms and what they say privately to customers, uh, you know, inside of the, the company as well. Um, but for marketers, you know, by default, uh, we have to publish all of our stuff out there for not only our prospects and customers to see, but for anyone to see. Uh, and that's a, that's a big challenge in that, uh, you know, a lot of our output is, you know, words and other sort of, you know, kind of uh, creative uh, um, aspects around, uh, around media. Uh, and so everyone can see it, right? And so that, that's kind of part of what keeps me up at night is that it's, it's really easy to take somebody else's words and, and put, them on a, put them on a website or in a piece of content so, uh, somewhere. And so it's, it's this constant challenge of, you know, how do you keep a message or, you know, just more broadly your content strategy differentiated when not only your customers can see what you're talking about, but your, your, uh, your competitors can as well. And so that's, that's probably one of the biggest things for me is sort of this kind of healthy level of, of paranoia keeping me up where I have to constantly be on top of the fact that somebody else may be picking up our message and replaying it to the same people we're playing it to. And it's no longer differentiated and, and different for people. I just love the way you frame that, Rich. I've, I've never heard it said that way, but you're so right. I think uh, there's no way for for marketing teams to hide uh, is you know one way of interpreting it. But uh, Nate, uh, let's talk about Exonius. You you've just raised a very big round in this past spring, Series C, nearly sixty million. How does a big funding round like this change the expectations? Uh, for you as a CMO? Sure. So I think that the amount of funding you raise is directly proportional to the revenue expectations. And since we've only existed as a company since 2017 and only had a product to sell for about 15 months, that means the expectations are insane. And uh, by all accounts, we're the fastest growing cybersecurity company in, in history. So that means we're going to try to keep up that momentum we're hoping to get to that $100 million ARR faster than any other company and go public. So I think altogether that means I've got to be able to build a marketing team to go from complete obscurity to developing the pipeline necessary to hit our very ambitious goals. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> That's a great, that's a great answer. Now, Naomi, uh, it's so good to have you as part of this conversation and get your perspective. So, from a context perspective, why would a culture management company like Enagage be interested in buying cybersecurity products? Yeah, great question and great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
So Entergage is just like any other company out there. We care about security because it's the right thing to do. And we know here at Entergage that security is everyone's responsibility. So the fact that the person in marketing or the person in sales, the person in uh, customer success, they all know that part of their job, if they were to do it well, is to do security as part of their job. It's everyone's responsibility here. And knowing that, that all just trickles up throughout the organization. So the leadership team takes full accountability of our security posture. It's not just my job as a director. I influence decisions for purchasing vendor products, but ultimately it is the leadership of my company to be responsible for security at Entergage. And everything trickles down from that. So when I ask for money for security products, it gets approved by the leadership team. They understand what it's for. They uh, give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down and we move accordingly. So security is everyone's responsibility at Entergage. And that's why I think just buying security products um, makes it a lot easier to understand that, you know, the leadership team should care about that. Yeah, security is part of your company's culture. And as a culture management software company, that doesn't surprise me that you're living by those uh, values. Now, Rich, uh, you've been in product and marketing leadership roles uh, for a long time, particularly focusing on complex products like networking and security. What's the hardest thing about marketing to cybersecurity professionals like Naomi? Um, well, that's, I think that's an easy one for me. That's noise. Um, you know, uh, you know, and we've kind of skirted around this a bit already. You know, I, I said before, what's keeping me up at night is, uh, is, you know, perhaps others, you know, kind of coming out with a, with a similar message. We just, you and Nate just talked about his, his giant war chest of, uh, of funding that he can now divert towards marketing programs. Uh, and, uh, you know, with that, if let's say Nate was my competitor, he's not, but if he was, um, you know, he's going to be coming at the same people that, that I'm trying to reach with ads and webinars and in a, you know, pre or post COVID world, things like events, uh, you know, all kinds of different things, you know, just kind of competing for that mindshare uh, amongst, amongst prospects. And even if he's not a direct competitor, just the fact that, you know, he and I represent two out of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of uh, you know, security companies out there, some small, some large you know, everyone's got a message and people like Naomi are being inundated constantly with these, with these messages. Right. And so that's, I think the hardest thing, this is, uh, you know, a, a really, um, uh, it's a crowded industry. Uh, the, the people that you're going after are, um, are targeted by probably dozens, if not more of uh, security companies looking for some, you know, some share of their mind or some share of their, their wallet on a daily basis. And uh, it's, it's difficult, you know, with like a LinkedIn post or, you know, an email from a sales rep or, you know, even a really enticing sounding webinar uh, to be able to have your message stand out uh, above and beyond the noise. And so I think that's the, the hardest thing is that the, the target audience here is, uh, is very much in demand in terms of their budget. Uh, and you need to be that much better to, to rise above the noise. That's a great point. And I want to come back to that noise point and actually can go deeper there. But before I do that, Nate, uh, just similar question to Richard's, but your marketing career has also spanned 
both security and non-security technologies. How does the C-suite, maybe the CEOs uh, for a security company differ from what they expect from a CMO at a security startup? Uh, it's a more complex area. Uh, so, so, so help us understand how the expectations from C-suite differ. It's really all about who you're marketing to and how you craft the story and then mapping that to how you're going to bring the two together to result in pipeline and revenue. And I, I know that's super high level, but let me explain. I think regardless of who you're selling to, whether it's a complex sale or, or something less complex, whether it's security or anything else, I think you need to be able to understand, all right, here's the, the budget I need. I, I need to understand how I'm going to use those dollars to go to market. I need to know the team that I'm going to be able to um, put together to get it done. And so I love starting with the numbers and then going from the objective to the how. And, and I think a lot of CEOs will expect a, a CMO to do things like, you know, I'm going to write stories and do social media posts and do all of these things that aren't measurable. But instead, I like to flip that on its head and start with what I expect my team to contribute in a way that's as measurable as possible. And, and then that way I can show value both through things like customers and pipeline, but also some of the, the softer measurements. So to me, it, it really is all the same from the very high level and setting the expectations at the top level. So when I talk to a CEO about what I'm going to do with my team, I really start by breaking down the numbers and looking at the things that just aren't controversial. Um, I'm not sure if that's something that they're not expecting, but I always like doing that. It helps me justify what I'm doing. It helps me look at my performance and understand for every dollar spent what I'll get back. Yeah, well, you're speaking my language, Nate. That's, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's why we know each other. <laughs> so, uh, Naomi, I want to pick up a point that Rich just made, noise. That's uh, certainly one of the hallmarks of, of this industry. You are the cybersecurity expert here. There's a lot of focus on the industry and every time there's a breach uh, and it hits the mainstream news, it's, you know, it's a scary topic for a lot of companies. But with so much noise, especially in marketing and so many competing offerings, how do you keep up with what's really important? How do you cut through that noise that Rich mentioned? Oh, I love this question, Rahul, thanks. Uh, well, you're right about that. There is a, an element certainly of what I call the tyranny of the urgent. And it's simply just being bombarded every day with news of breaches, news of unpatched machines and uh, you know new exploits out there. And I gotta admit, it is a little overwhelming at times. And what keeps me headed towards the goal, the ultimate goal, which is you know reducing risk for the business is I have a plan, a very, specific plan early on that everyone agrees to the leadership team on down of what security is trying to accomplish for the year. And uh, of course, using measurements, metrics, all the things that help us point towards the, the right way, the compass trying to go straight um, and, and reducing risk for the business, making sure that's always there. Um, and then, you know, using those numbers to really inform us on how we would reduce risk in certain areas of the business. And of course, we're flexible throughout the year. If I see a certain part of the business or you know, a certain aspect of our infrastructure is more at risk, then 
a different aspect of the business, then I divert more attention to that part of the business. But in general, I have that roadmap and I stick with that roadmap. And that's always a helpful thing to have the accountability of the leadership team and everyone understanding that security is everyone's responsibility. Having that support from the leadership, always helpful. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're saying, you know, you have your business priorities and you pay attention to those signals that make most sense to your business and your priorities. That makes sense. Nate, uh, uh, talking about uh, priorities, you say that Exonius solves the least sexy problem in security, asset management by your own words. So how do you get uh, cybersecurity folks like Naomi interested in that problem? What's your hook for this space? Yes. It's, it's a really good question. So when we were at the, um, the RSA Innovation Sandbox in 2019, we were one of the 10 finalists um, in the pitch competition to be crowned the most innovative cybersecurity startup that year. And, and so we had 10 slides and three minutes to make our case for why we were the most innovative. And, and sometimes constraint breeds creativity. And I had to think about it. Like, so what is that hook? Just like you're asking. And as I was thinking about my approach, I decided why not just address this, the unsexiness of asset management just head on, right? And we referred to asset management as the Toyota Camry of cybersecurity, where other technologies like deception and automation, they get all the press. Those are like the, the Ferraris and Lamborghinis. Um, none of the other things that we can do in cybersecurity can be truly effective unless we can know what we have to protect. So for me, the answer was to, to play up that unsexiness but um, in a way that seemed to work for us, which is this is unsexy, sure, but it's critical. You have to know this. It's foundational. And just being able to, to use that hook, it was kind of disarming. Um, standing up on stage, showing a picture of a Toyota Camry and, and getting a laugh. Um, I think that works more than talking about how your enterprise grade, nation state level, whatever, um, buzzwords just don't work. And I think it showed that we were different, but it also showed that let's, let's take care of something that's basic and then everything else will work better. Right. And, but generally speaking, you know, just the, the term cybersecurity gets the C-suite on edge. You know, you think of uh, breaches where you could lose lots of customers, you know, damage to your brand reputation, lots of, you know, money and, you know, lost in legal fees and, and other things. So Naomi, here's a question for you. I know that you have a culture in a company where uh, security is considered to be a priority from top down, but that's not always the case. So what's your recommendation to folks in helping CEOs and CFOs and CMOs in, uh, in your companies to actually pay attention to security products? Yeah, great question. I actually take kind of a passive approach to this. Um, I have relationships with everyone on my leadership team, and I feel that we're so uh, open with each other that they can share things that are on their mind and things that keep them up at night. So I take that passive approach where they come to me when they have a security concern about something maybe that I haven't already been thinking of. So my CEO, my founder, my CFO are constantly sending me emails. Hey, have you seen this? You're like, what are we doing about this breach? Or do, are we covered for this or that or this? And I get this quite often. And I always reply, you know, it's definitely on my radar. It's been on my radar. Remember, we're sticking with our plan. 
but yeah, I'll still look into it. And if it's something that will, you know, increase our risk, uh, sorry, decrease our risk profile, but increase our security posture, it's something I'll look into. And they always walk away with, you know, she's on top of it. This is really good. So I take that passive approach. They already do care about it. I think it's a false narrative to say that CEOs and CMOs don't care about security because, again, security is everyone's responsibility. It's the right thing to do to care about security. So taking that mindset and knowing that they want the best for their company and they know that good security is part of that, you know, sit back and just watch them come to you. <laughs> and that's really where I, I come from. And I was like, all right, yeah, let's have that conversation. And I'm so glad that you're talking about this and you care about this because I care about this too. And I love not being the only one at my company caring about security. I have so many security champions and it's so important to me in my role. And I argue this for anyone in my role as the head of security at a company, you need to be able to influence others to have other people care about security also. So uh, just one aspect of my job that I really like sitting back and watching all the care for security come in also. Now, Rich, uh, not every company is like uh, like Naomi's company. Uh, from your perspective, you're selling a product to the CISOs, but ultimately a CFO has to pay for it. IT has to be involved in the remediation of any security gaps. So how do you get non-security professionals to care? Or don't you? Do you just need to market to and to win the CSO? Or do you go beyond the CSO? Um, no, I mean, you definitely need to go beyond uh, you know, the CISO or the, or the security team. And I think Naomi just kind of alluded to it, right? You know, CEO, CFO involvement. Uh, you know, depending on the company, um, you know, there's anywhere from, I don't know, two or three to maybe 10 or 12 people involved in a, in a major uh, decision that involves budget and a rollout and all these other things. And you, you talked about a couple of them, CFO, IT, um, you know, et, et cetera, right? And so um, you need to find a way to talk to all of those, let's call it involved stakeholders, um, and sometimes that's uh, direct communication and sometimes it's indirect, right? Uh, direct communication means that, you know, let's say the, uh, the, the CFO, um, you know, gets involved in the project and they decide to come take a look at the company. So they're going to come to your website um, or, you know, they're going to reach out to uh, the salesperson or the sales team and, or be in a meeting with the, the sales team, right? So, you know, both of those things, kind of your public, let's say online presence, as well as your, your sales teams need to be armed to communicate with that type of person who has a very different level of understanding of, of security than the CISO has. And they also have very different, you know, drivers and goals in their, um, in their, in their position. So those are kind of like maybe two examples of, of direct communication where, you know, that CFO, um, I'll stick with that example, um, you know, they're not looking for, you know, technical metrics and speeds and feeds. They, you know, they view cyber risk as just another business risk of which there are many, right? And so they're, um, you know, what's going to uh, align to them is more, you know, things like uh, financial quantification of, of how the, the project is going to reduce risk as, as Naomi talked about, or, you know, provide savings in, in other areas. And so you need to be aware of the fact that that's the language that they speak and uh, you know, be prepared to do so. 
Uh, and then there's this kind of this indirect involvement, which is probably the more prevalent uh, one with someone like a CFO for a cybersecurity project, which is that the person uh, that is kind of, you know, championing your, uh, your um, you know, the purchase of your, your product or service inside of the company um, needs to be armed to communicate with, you know, those people as well, right? So whether it's a CFO or board of directors or, or folks in IT, you know, all those people have different, um, different, different drivers and a different language that they, they speak. And so, you know, in that regard, it's your uh, job as a marketer or your sales team's job to ensure that that person has what they need to adequately make that case uh, internally, right? So, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but it's more, you know, even our sales teams will go and, uh, you know, they'll prep what we call the mobilizer, uh, which is um, from the challenger sales methodology kind of terminology, but, you know, a lot of people refer to this person as the champion. Uh, they'll prep those people for, uh, you know, these types of discussions so that they're sure that they, they have what they need. So they're not talking about the speeds and feeds, but instead communicating in their language. So I would say it's absolutely critical, um, you know, simply because uh, very rarely are people making uh, these decisions uh, totally unilaterally, right? There's a whole team of, of people from different disciplines involved in these kind of decisions. And they, they basically all need to say yes. Yes, uh, so talking about speaking the customer's language, mate, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the noise and the crowded nature of cybersecurity space. Now, but it seems obvious, at least to me, that FUD or buzzwords, they don't really work in any domain, uh, including cybersecurity. But yeah, we continue to see a lot of companies, a lot of vendors making the same mistake over and over again. How do you at Exonius avoid that mistake? How do you come across as authentic? How do you raise your brand above that noise uh, out there? Sure. So, I mean, to me, it's very simple. It's, it's supply and demand, right? If everybody else is going to hit our prospects with FUD, um, then it stands to reason that if I do something else, my story can stand out. And I always like to say that the next time there's a big breach like a Sony or a Capital One, just stick your head outside the window and you're going to hear the sound of a million PowerPoints updating. And, but I will say that there's a way to do it, right? There's a way to talk about something current without being patronizing and not just using fear. And, and so one example that we, we saw recently is that um, anyone working with the Department of Defense, any contractor, um, is prohibited from this thing called the NDAA Section 889. They're prohibited from having certain devices made by certain manufacturers. You just can't have them in your network. And so we had big government contractors that were scrambling to figure out how do I identify these things that I can't have anymore to be able to comply here. And you could have said like, you've got to do this right now, or you're going to get fined or, you, you know, let's just lead with fear. Or instead what we decided to do is we decided to just create some content around here is exactly how we worked with one of our customers. Of course, we can't name them um, to show them how they could take their 500 people that were trying to manually do this and do it in, in a course of a couple of minutes. And so we showed here's, here's why something is important. This is that, that kind of compelling event. Um, you know what happens if you don't comply. We don't need to get into that part. You understand that. Here's how they were able to do it very, very quickly without doing manual work. We made it so that the, the customer is the hero, um, albeit anonymously. Uh, we didn't just flog our product, but we said, here's how you can uh, reasonably and very quickly accomplish um, this issue instead of saying, 
fear, fear, fear. And so that's how we do it. There's always a way to do it. It's, it's in the messaging. Um, I totally agree. Approaching someone with, with FUD, um, I don't care how fast you are, you're probably the fifth one to do it that day. Uh, and so find a way to always show value instead of just showing what the problem is. Yeah, great point. And uh, talking about being different, Rich, I must confess, I absolutely love your company's comic strip. Uh, the Adventures of CISO Ed and Company. Uh, if, if our listeners haven't checked it out, I would really encourage you to do that. Go to www.balbex.com. But it, to, it, it's really interesting because it highlights the everyday frustrations, heroism, and insights of ordinary InfoSec teams and brings some lovely humor and levity to selling cybersecurity solutions. What made you launch that? What, what was, and what's the market reaction been? Uh, since you since you launched it, yeah, you know, I think that um, across you know our marketing at at Balbex, um, you know, the, I mean, uh, the the comic strip is is one piece, but there are a number of things that we do that are, um, you know, a bit more fun and and lighthearted and and related to cybersecurity, but not you know, necessarily pushing a, a, a Balbix message in our differentiation. I think, you know, it kind of comes from recognition of the fact that, yes, we are selling to cybersecurity professionals and marketing to cybersecurity professionals, but they're also humans, right? And, uh, you know, that that sounds obvious, but, you know, humans like a laugh. Every, we, all, we all like a laugh, uh, you know, here and there. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this is, we talked about noise earlier. This is one of the ways that we've decided that we would get people's attention. Now, does a comic strip directly, you know, influence someone like Naomi into, you know, buying our product that much sooner? Um, no, it doesn't. The idea is, you know, kind of, kind of generate some audience and, and some discussion with some fun, lighthearted stuff that appeals to our buyers as, as people, as humans. Um, you know, or is at the same time we're, we're, you know, starting to, to educate them on what it is that Balbix does and, and how it can solve their problems. So if you, if you look at our content, there's a lot of this lighthearted stuff, like the comic strip, we just put out a, a cookbook last week. Uh, you know, there's been some cybersecurity activity books for kids. We do memes, you know, a bunch of this stuff is just kind of fun, fun type stuff. And it really helps to get an engaged audience of people that are going to look to our, look to our content when it comes out. And then, you know, there's every bit as much of, of our content that's more around, you know, how we can solve, you know, big problems that uh, a lot of InfoSec teams have, right? And so it's, it's sort of, I wouldn't say it's some master plan to like get people in with a laugh and then, uh, you know, pull bait and switch and sell them on the product. But I mean, that's part of the idea is can we, you know, can we build an audience with, with some fun stuff so that when they recognize uh, a need and they're ready to make a purchase, they think of us basically. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been very well received, you know, a few times a week, I'll have somebody reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, we love your content. This is, this is great. Keep it up. That kind of thing. But obviously more importantly, um, is, is when, you know, those people turn into, into prospects and then customers for the company, which happens quite often as well. So, yes, I would say successful, uh, and not only that, but it's fun for me and my team too. You know, I'd much rather, uh, work on cranking out a comic strip than a data sheet if I'm going to be perfectly honest. so Yeah, well, you know, Rich, I can already imagine, visualize that comic strip wall that you're going to build five years from now of all the, <laughs> the best of the 
the the uh, CISO Ed's adventures. That's great. That's right. Naomi, uh, we touched on this earlier, but how do you decide when you need a new product, cybersecurity product or a service? Is it driven by top-down strategic initiative or maybe a security breach or this continuing motivation to improve your cybersecurity defense posture like emerging threats? How do you how do you decide what to do? And how do you secure the budget for doing so? Oh yeah, the magic question. So uh, your first question is how do I actually decide when I need a new product or service? This is actually a, I was thinking about this. And what a lot of marketers don't know is we already have a solution for many of the problems that we have. Remember, the problems have long existed before many, many, many of the solutions. So what do we do? Instead of using technology, we just manually do it. Well, it's not great, but I can guarantee you a lot of people in my shoes probably just don't have resources to spend babysitting another product. So we do it manually. It's kind of a pain in the butt, but we're used to it and we can do it probably in our sleep. So the problems have existed long before the solutions. And when it becomes too frustrating and takes up way too much of my time or there's too many assets to manage, you know, Axonius, shout out. Uh, well, then we start looking for products to help ease our pain. So uh, at that time, I either take a look at my budget and say, hey, I do have some room in my budget or hey, budget season's coming up. Why don't I put this down on my budget proposal, which is October every year for Energage. And I try to get all my beta tests, all my trials done beforehand, get all my quotes beforehand, and I pick the best one. <laughs> there's, uh, for me, there's different criteria for what is the best, but essentially it comes down to cost and return on investment, at least the perceived ROI. And I bring that up to my steering committee, and my leadership team either approves it or they don't approve it. I've been fairly successful in getting my budget proposal passed, but times are tough, especially in the pandemic. And it really just comes down to what the business decides is a priority. And we always use a conversation to come to an agreement on what those priorities should be. It's really not just me telling everyone what the priorities are. It really is a group conversation, a collaborative discussion between everyone involved. And proud to say I'm pretty good at it, I guess. Uh, Energage does take security very seriously and it really shows. Now, Nate, uh, looking at it from a vendor perspective, uh, and I'd love to understand how you target your perspective, uh, prospects. Do you market based on a uh, like compelling event, like a breach, cybersecurity breach? Do you look for particular initiatives like the ones that Naomi talked about? Do you look at it by company size or industries? How do you target your prospects? Sure, so we don't really market around things like breaches because we're not a detection or prevention technology, but instead we show people you know, the assets they have and whether those devices and users and cloud instances have the appropriate controls applied. So it's a little bit different. We are a cybersecurity company, but we're not like preventing breaches. We're showing you um, where the controls aren't uh, apply where they should be. So um, what's nice about that is that we can look at something like a, a compliance requirement or something like a, a CVE and then show someone how they can find those devices that, that could be affected and whether the right tools are in place. So 
the compelling event could be something like a new regulation, or it could be a vulnerability, or it could be around something like cloud migration or IoT, or even something like an M&A event. So we target based on a few things. So things like enterprise versus mid-market, and then we look at the, the use cases, um, and then the subsequent personas and what they're trying to solve. And, and I think my, my prior example of the, the DOD was, was a great one where we found something that was going on kind of in the news, but also very, very relevant and timely that only applied to a certain subset. So we wanted to say like, this is something that they care about right now. They're trying to solve right now and we've got to play there. So we'll do that targeting and, and create a campaign there, but it, it doesn't apply to everyone. Um, so I think there, there are things like use cases that people always care about. Then there's things that are externally observable, things like um, M&A or legal requirements. And then um, there's, there's things like the example I just gave. So it's, it's a little bit of all, but um, not, the, not the breach stuff, just because that's not what we do. Um, so we, we do a lot of targeting, understanding what industry they're in, how regulations, compliance, um, and anything like that applies. And then we do segmented campaigns based on all of that. Right, right. And But Rich, on the other hand, your company, Balbix, does provide real-time visibility into an organization's breach risk. It does prescribe mitigating actions. So how do you target your prospects? Do you target them based on a breach? Do you look for an initiative? Or is there some other way? I don't, I mean, I don't think that, you know, despite some differences in the product, there's not much, uh, you know, different, you know, between, between what we do and what Nate just described, right? You know, we're not, you know, we're, we're looking for uh, specific initiatives. Certainly there are certain um, industries that we target more than, than others. Um, you know, that's largely related to industry specific drivers, right? Things like regulatory environment or the types of data that they need to protect the importance overall of, of cybersecurity in the, in the industry. Um, you know, there's some size-based, you know, we, we primarily target larger uh, organizations uh, as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, um, there's also some, I don't know, let's call it macroeconomic stuff as well more recently where, you know, COVID has obviously had a, a pretty devastating impact on a lot of different industries. And so we've, you know, because the, um, you know, the, the notion is that, you know, certain industries are going to not necessarily be, um, you know, spending new dollars with, with new vendors. We've kind of, um, I guess, de-emphasized some of the industries we believe are being most hard hit by, uh, by COVID uh, while they recover and focus instead on other industries that are, you know, business hasn't changed so much or, or business is actually increasing, right? So it's, you know, it's, it's like, Nate, we don't, we don't based on like specific breaches or anything along those lines. It's just more, um, you know, kind of, I guess, classic uh, targeting for where we think we're going to fit and where there's the highest likelihood of, of specific initiatives happening inside of a company that, that we might help um, solve problems for. That's a smart way. So I want to end this conversation with you, Naomi. Uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, with some, some words of wisdom, your advice. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see marketers making when they pitch their products to you? And what would you recommend to Rich and Nate and folks like them in their roles and how to differentiate and stand out in this crowded, noisy market? 
All right. So I was also thinking about this and I, this is going to sound bad, but I promise you it's not done maliciously, but sometimes security marketers forget that they're actually marketing to the most paranoid people in the world, which are security professionals. And we've just, we just know all the bad things out there. So when we get a cold call or an, a cold email, a cold private message, we're going to delete it. My junk mail is full of emails, cold emails, and I absolutely don't feel bad about it. I actually know somebody who has mail filtering rules based off of industry keywords and buzzwords and uh, FUD words, and he automatically all just goes into trash. And I don't blame him because (laughs) it's a really good idea, actually. So number one, you're, you're actually just marketing to the wrong people. If you don't have a relationship with these folks, you're going to be uh, blocked or just junked, put into the trash. And I know that sounds bad, but uh, that's just kind of the people that we are. Just really paranoid. So the one thing that I do sometimes wonder if this could work for marketers, but if you built a relationship, a true relationship with your target audience, and I think Rich and Balbix does this really well. They put out content that really, really, really helps the industry. They're seen as thought leaders. They're seen as human with the comic strip and they have those memes and they're hilarious. And one of the reasons why I really admire Balbix is because of it. They don't just push their products. They don't just come up to you and say, hey, buy my product. You know, they're actually stepping back and differentiating themselves by saying, we're human too. We have a sense of humor. Security takes itself way too seriously sometimes. Let's take a step back and just laugh. And that's what we need. Security professionals, yeah, we do. We take ourselves a little too seriously sometimes. And just to have that reminder that we are all human and that we can have a sense of humor, it really helps ground us. And it makes us realize that we can have these connections with marketers and with sales folks. We don't have to be scared of them. So... I don't know. It's not, it's not really something you can do at scale, you know, building relationships, but it's definitely possible. I would say, and I did a study on my own security products, but I think about 80% of all the products that I've bought over the years have been through word of mouth. And it's because I have relationships with my peers and relationships with vendors and people that I actually trust. Those are the people I'm going to buy from. I, I probably have zero, I think zero out of the last 50 products that I've bought over the various companies I've worked in have been from outbound SDRs. Like there's just no way I'm going to be clicking on that email or opening that link. There's no way. Uh, things that really work with me are, you know, funny comic strips, funny memes, white papers, research papers, things that I go to to look for answers for, blog posts, articles, experts podcast like this. All that's really helpful. And it really builds that relationship. Uh, If I don't have that relationship, there's probably not going to be any trust there. And I won't want to pursue that relationship. Great advice, Naomi. It it applies to any industry, not just cybersecurity, you know, authenticity, advocacy, uh, helpfulness, education, all of these are great, uh, great thoughts. And it makes me think how many of us marketers are perhaps spending money on the wrong channels and campaigns uh, and and not focused on things that truly work. So you guys have been a great panel, uh, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much, Naomi, 
Rich, and Nate. Thank you. If you like this episode of the CMO Stories podcast, please subscribe and give us a like or comment wherever you listen. And if you want to reinvent your approach to marketing and turn marketing into a revenue driver instead of a cost center, visit our website at fortella.ai. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.